it has to be strategic. You have to think, okay, what do I want to get from my network? So if that's to make it more diverse, then you are immediately just looking at people that are coming from different backgrounds to your own. And that might just be perhaps you're a university graduate, you know, you're 15 years into your career and you're thinking, actually, I don't know anyone who's just gone straight into the workplace. I don't know any school leaders. I don't know anybody with a disability. Just whatever that difference is, it's going to benefit you to get a different perspective and maybe connect with some of those individuals. Now, you can combine that if you're looking for a new job or if you're looking for a new client, you can combine that strategy and say, if I'm looking for my next client, maybe I want that client to come from a more diverse background. Maybe I'll be interested to see how that conversation goes. Welcome back to the Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Ferina Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. I have set up this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship Program because I want to give you access to inspiration and that practical support so that everyone who's listening to this can continue to progress their careers whilst enjoying their young children. So you don't have to choose between the two. Today's podcast guest is Lee Higgins. He is the co-founder of Diverse Talent Networks and a former headhunter. I've actually interviewed him on the podcast before and I really wanted to dig a bit deeper because he's an expert on how to create relationships with people that are not like you. And that is absolutely essential because sadly, the people listening to this podcast are probably not the same as the people who are currently in senior leadership role. I'm making a judgment about your industry. Obviously, your organization may be completely different. In that case, wonderful. But actually, it's probably likely that there are lots of elderly white males in senior leadership in the organizations where you work but in order to progress your career and in order also just to get stuff sorted for yourself for example flexible working you do need to have those relationships with senior people and we also know that in order to have career progression you do need diverse networks there's a really strong causal relationship there so lee is the man he knows about it and very Importantly, he doesn't like networking initially. He never used to like it. So he's brilliant at explaining how to do it when you're not a natural networker, which I definitely fall in that category myself. And on another note, you may have seen on Twitter and social media, I've put a call out to ask whether we should rename the Leaders with Babies podcast to Leaders with Children. I really want to grow the podcast listeners, as you know already, but I would love to get some feedback if you think I should be doing this. You can feedback on... I don't know, send me an email, verena at leadersplus.org.uk or tweet at leaders underscore plus or at vhefty or Instagram or whatever you like to use. So I'm sure you can find me online. Do let me know. And a big thank you to those who've already shared their comments, especially Asha, who took the time to write a careful response. Yeah, I would love to know your thoughts. I've had a couple of queries regarding the application for the Leaders Plus Fellowship Program. The applications are now closed and we will open them again in January. If you want to be the first to find out about that, then go to leadersplus.org.uk forward slash register interest. If you put your name down, you'll get an email when the applications open again. And this next year, we will have only one round for the Leaders Plus Fellowship program because we're just developing a really exciting new initiative for the second part of the year. So that's it from the introduction. And I really hope you get a lot of good ideas from the Lee Higgins episode. He is very practical and I'm sure you'll find it super helpful. 
A very warm welcome to the podcast, Back Lee Higgins. It is wonderful to have you again. I think, yeah, I really enjoyed our previous conversation and I'm really excited about digging deeper into your expertise around diverse networks. But why don't we start with you just introducing yourself, who's in your family and what you do for work? Yeah. Thank you. And, and thanks for having me back, Verena, and very much enjoyed our first podcast too, and had a great response off the back of it, made some really good connections, some of which I'm still speaking to today. And yeah, the power of the network, right? But we'll come on to that. So yeah, I've been in recruitment for 23 years. But in the last 18 months, I've transitioned more into an executive sort of mentoring or coaching individual who's been helping some of the senior people that I've worked with over the years within the financial services arena. And through that period, you know, I've now transitioned into launching. I'm very excited to be co-founder of a business called Diverse Talent Networks. In my family, which is really important because they support me, I've got two young children. So two young boys who are growing up very fast. So a 12-year-old or soon to be 12-year-old, still 11, but keeps telling me he's almost 12, and a nine-year-old as well. So they keep me pretty busy. And then an incredibly supportive wife who also juggles a career, which is blossoming, a second career, because having had children and taken time out, you know, she's gone back and is now following her passion and doing something that is very close to her heart. So we're going through a transition as a family where we're now both working incredibly hard, running our own businesses, <laughs> but also looking after children and trying to just keep the house tidy and keep everyone fed, mm. which I think everyone can probably yeah empathize and sympathize with so myself and my partner also we run two social enterprises exactly at the same stage same level of employees and so on so this really yeah i can imagine what your house must be like at the moment <laughs> although you might be like a swan and you know it's all, it's all beautiful but what's been the toughest no. thing of having two people who are working a lot and what's been the toughest thing and what have you learned from that so far I think I'm still learning. It's just incredibly hard. I'm I'm a real perfectionist. So I, I love things being and, and probably a little bit obsessive compulsive in my psyche. So I love things being a certain way. And so having to let things go, like uh, having a messy house, not having things where they should be, you know, just that disorganized chaos i think having to adapt to just get a bit more comfortable with that and i've, I've worked on that for many years but probably in the last six months i'm trying to get better at that so <laughs> and we're focusing on the important things right so it doesn't matter if the house is a bit of a mess but we're focusing on you know looking after the boys and, and, and clearly the work right which is incredibly important for both of us so yeah compromise yeah letting things go that you know are insignificant when you really look at them yeah, I'm pleased to say I've never been a perfectionist when it comes to the house, unlike my partner. But uh, <laughs> what works really well for us is to leave the house. So most weekends we're just out with the kids and we can just be for days on end walking through London with prams and, and everything. <laughs> and I think yeah. that makes it easier with, uh, with not being in front of the messiness all. <laughs> but let's talk about Network. So I think the reason why I wanted to talk to you again is because we do have a lot of evidence that having diverse networks is really important for career progression. And by diverse networks, I mean networks that are different, that are not just consisting of the people that you know already and the type of people that are like you. But it can be really hard to establish networks in the first place and then establish diverse network because we all gravitate towards people we know. 
Tell me, have you always been a really good networker? Because you are. I know you are a good networker now. So tell me, have you always been like that? Definitely not. I think like most people, I've found it incredibly uncomfortable to walk into a room and speak to people and, and still do because whether that's my own inhibitions about you know my upbringing and you get that bit of imposter syndrome. I know that's a word that people don't like using these days, but you do sometimes feel like who wants to listen to you and what have you got to offer that's going to be valuable. So no, I think you're always working on it. And, I, and I've been fortunate to work with some incredibly successful people over the years as a recruiter, but now as a sort of mentor and coach uh, before moving into this new role in Diverse Talent Networks. And I've always found that everyone finds networking difficult. You find it slightly awkward, allocating the time to it, understanding the full benefits of networking, but also just understanding how to do it. You know, fundamentally, how do you have a networking conversation and how often do you follow up and keep in touch with people? So I think, yeah, like most, I found it challenging, but I've had to do it for my job. And I think that's the big difference. I've had to do it as a recruiter. I've had to pick up the phone and cold call people and speak to people that I've never met and strike up some form of meaningful relationship, build a rapport very quickly. And hopefully, you know, I can do that by just being an active listener, paying an interest in where they're at in terms of their career. And I think one thing I never did as a recruiter was sell a job incredibly hard. I'd always want to understand what were their career motivations. And if I had something that would fit for them, and their aspirations moving forward, then I would relay that. That didn't make me huge amounts of money as a recruiter, because that's probably a whole different conversation in some of the ethics that recruiters take. But in terms of striking out relationships and building relationships for the long term, I found myself being very good at that. But still, every time I go into a room or every time I pick up the phone for someone for the first time, everyone has that little bit of nervousness. So I think that's just something to bear in mind as we progress this podcast. So can you tell me, what worked for you, you know, in those first few weeks when you have started to have to pick up the phone more or where you started, mm. you know, your first networking event? Did you have any aha moments about particular phrase you might have used that works really well or particular things that you talked about that worked well to create that meaningful connection? A lot of it comes down to sort of tone of voice and your delivery. So I would quite often just say to people, look, I appreciate I might be calling you at an inconvenient time, but can you spare five minutes just to a very brief introduction? And then pause, you know, let them reflect, let them say yes or no. And if they say yes, then you just explain who you are, what you do, and then you strike up that conversation. But I usually do it by asking them questions. So look, I'd really just like to get a really good understanding where you're at in your career, what your career aspirations are, what your real drivers are moving forward. And then getting to know you helps me hopefully then be able to position the right opportunities for you, either right now, because we might have to be working on something that's relevant, or in the future but I'm looking for a longer term relationship. And I, I feel that it's about pace. And clearly this gets easier as you get older, I feel like it's not an age thing for sure. But it, for me, it got easier because I think people can pick up that you're slightly more mature. We can't see my gray hair on the phone, obviously, but I think by the tone of voice, they can probably get that I'm someone that hopefully knows what they're talking about. So yeah, that sort of softly, softly approach, I think just puts people at ease. So tone of voice, yeah, just giving them someone's space to answer, reflect on the questions that you're asking them, but then showing a genuine interest in them as a person. The best advice I've ever been given about networking was to not worry about networking, but just to worry about having a conversation that is interesting to you yourself. And that has completely taken the pressure off me with any networking situation, which I also have to go into because you know I'm a founder of a social enterprise like you are. What's the best advice that you've ever been given? 
I think it's exactly that. It's like having a conversation. And I worked with a very good networker previously. And I think the attitudes are very much, look, if they're the right person to be networking with, they're going to give you some time and they're going to engage in a conversation. And if they're not, they're not, but that's fine. Not everyone is comfortable striking up a conversation from scratch. But what you do by having more of those conversations and not worrying about, am I going to get something out of this? A lot of people go into networking thinking they associate it with, am I going to get something out of it? Am I going to get a meeting? Am I going to get my next job? And that's the wrong attitude. I think the attitude is go in with genuine curiosity, have a conversation, and then things will happen quite naturally because you could talk to somebody about one particular topic and they come back and introduce you to somebody else and that takes you in a totally different direction. And there's people in my network that I've known for 15, 20 years and are only now helping me. I may not have helped them either. I may still not have helped them. But I think what we've tried to do over the years is connect each other with other people that actually might be more beneficial to them. And I think that's the key. It's not just thinking about that one particular person you're speaking to. It's where does that conversation lead? Who does that get you speaking to in the future? And I think that's really important to bear that in mind. And so you never know. I mean, a bit like our conversation, right? We struck up this conversation from the first podcast. I've now got relationships that I would never have had before. And I wasn't sure where the podcast would go. So yeah, so I think it's just being very open-minded and just if you've got someone that's willing to engage, you know, make the most of that. And yeah, don't worry about giving them something and don't worry about them giving you something immediately either. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm going to challenge you. Hand on heart, do you have time to do a lot of this? Do you have time? No, I can always do more. It is difficult to network. So you, you do have a purpose, right? But it's my purpose now would be, okay, I want to speak to more diverse talent. I want to speak to that diverse talent community. I want to understand challenges they're facing. I want to bring them into my community so we can hopefully then introduce them to organizations that are, are interested in engaging in those conversations. And then from a, if I look at potential clients, yeah, I want to get hopefully a client relationship, get them on board with diverse talent networks because I'm so passionate about it. And I think it absolutely is a solution and one of many solutions that companies can use. So there is a purpose, but equally, I just want to understand, if we take the clients first, are they really backing up what they're saying in social media with action when it comes to improving diversity within the organization? And then if I look at the talent, I just want to understand, okay, what challenges have people from different aspects of diversity been facing? What's their story? What's their background? Because that then enables me to go back and say, look, to certain organizations that we might be working with or want to work with, here's what you're not doing enough of. And this is not me saying that. This is the evidence, right? These are the facts that we're getting from that diverse talent community that often feels excluded from many of the conversations. So I don't have the time. I have to make the time. I have to do more of it. And I'll tell you one thing, if I'm being brutally honest, Verena, sometimes I get an approach from someone on LinkedIn and I look at that. And if I'm being brutally honest, my heart would sink. And I think, I just can't help this person. But you know what? You never know. You never know what they might bring. So I will make time for it. And I've had so many of those conversations where I thought, I just don't know if this is going to go anywhere. I don't know if it's going to benefit me. Because let's be brutally honest, we all want to get some benefit from these conversations, short, medium or long term. And I'm saying, I just can't see if this is ever going to benefit me. But I think I've learned now that just by opening up, giving people some space and time to speak, that nine times out of 10, it will lead somewhere where it's an opportunity for you. It's a bit of support for you. Or it's just a really 
great person that you've been able to connect with and get to know. So I think, yeah, time is tough, but I always try and force myself to make that time, even if you're incredibly busy. I think the biggest thing is when you build that network and you've got a lot of people coming at you, then that's hard to manage. And that's where I would say I probably don't give some of the people that I know really well now enough time. But that's okay because you can check in with them and you can apologize for that, right? Everyone understands that you're busy, that you're running a business, that you've got a family, that actually time disappears pretty quickly for everyone these days. But then by reaching out and just saying, look, I'm really sorry, I know it's been a while, but let's reconnect without any real purpose, then that makes a big difference to people. And I've just, I've had that exchange this morning, actually, with someone I haven't spoken to for about six months. Yeah, we're connecting. We're going to speak either tomorrow or Thursday. Mm, Interesting. Yeah, it challenges my own thinking. I probably should do that more as well. I want to pick your brains about diversity of networks. So you obviously run a company that supports financial sector businesses to diversify their networks so that they are more likely to get applications from those networks because we all know most applications come from networks rather than from just putting out an advert. So what have you learned about practical things someone can do to make sure that they have people in their network who are not like them? And I think that's especially relevant if you are a parent who works in a different way, if you perhaps are from an ethnic minority, if you have a disability or so. How do you make connections with people that aren't similar to you? Well, I would say right now that's incredibly difficult, which is why Dan Whitehead, who's the other co-founder, and I thought this is the solution. We know people want to network. We know they want to expand their networks. We know that people from different aspects of different diverse backgrounds are excluded from a lot of these conversations. But unless you have someone doing that for you, I don't think it really changes because I, I think it's very difficult to go out and start broadening your network and bringing in people from different backgrounds. It really is. And so that's why we're, we're a bit more focused on it and understanding, okay, opening up organizations to thinking, it's not just about getting more ethnic minority background people into your business. It's not just about getting more senior female or female talent into your business. It's looking at diversity of thought, neurodiversity, socioeconomic. You've got to look at every aspect. And so what we're trying to do is go out there and just be a bit more broader in our approach. What tends to happen is that people stick to you know, look at where you live, right? You look around, you make friends with your neighbours, You then your workplace, then you perhaps your ex-university friends, then you look back to maybe school friends and then clubs or societies that you're a member of. And that network, when you look around it, looks very much like you. So it is actually quite difficult for people to then expand that and make it more diverse without getting some assistance in my mind because you might have all good intention but are you then going to make the effort and the time, as we talked about earlier, to go and plug yourself into a different group, perhaps go to a different area and start making those relationships? So I think if you're doing it now, obviously LinkedIn is a great tool to use because you can start connecting with people that you just don't know, right? They look like they might work in your industry. They might have interesting skill sets and you want to connect with them to find out more. So LinkedIn is a great tool to be able to do that. But then... Now, clearly, some people are saying you can't always tell what somebody's diverse attributes are, and that's true. So you, until you strike up that conversation, you never know. And I've spoken to many people who, particularly with neurodiversity, with disability, you know, particularly if it's invisible, you wouldn't know that that exists you know, just by looking at something like LinkedIn. It's when you start having the conversation. And then I think what we're finding as well is it's not just about you necessarily being diverse. So I would say everyone is diverse, right? There's always something in their makeup and their background that would make them a diverse potential candidate or you know, member of the talent community. 
it's about understanding that person and their attitudes towards diversity and more importantly inclusiveness so just are they somebody that enjoys getting different ideas looking for transferable skills wanting to connect with people that bring a different perspective because that makes a big difference and you learn so much more I mean, I had a great conversation. Hopefully, you won't mind me mentioning his name with a, a gentleman by the name of Dale Headley. So Dale set up the Black Leadership Forum at JP Morgan when he was working for the asset management business there. I'd known Dale for probably 10 years, and I'd never asked him the question about what it's like to be black and working in financial services, and working in that industry. And the first thing he said to me was, I was a bit nervous of terminology that I'd be using, but he said, Lee, don't worry about any of that. The most important thing is we're having this conversation and you're asking me questions. And he said, now I can tell my story. That was really a pivotal moment. Now, I'd grown up in a really multicultural school and neighborhood. You know, I grew up in North London back in the sort of 70s and, and early 80s. So for me, I was surrounded by different cultures and, and I was going into people's living rooms and houses. And it was, you know, where they were coming over from Africa, the Caribbean from Middle East, I was getting exposure to that. But that disappeared as I went, you know, as the first in my family to go off to university. And all of a sudden, again, you look around you and it's predominantly white men that I was mixing with, right? And then you go to the workplace and that narrows down again, right? And it's a smaller pool of white middle-aged men and, and women. And so you sort of get a little bit detached then from different backgrounds and cultures and yeah, I think you go through a period of your network is very narrow. I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but I think it's all relevant because it's about that journey. And I do feel now to get that back on track, I need to go and, and broaden my network, uh, try and get my children to be much more open-minded because we live in an area, again, that is predominantly white, middle-class and quite affluent. So to keep them in check and understand what is the real world and about you know understanding people's different backgrounds. I think they're still at the age where they... They would find it nonsense for people to be, you know, racism. They're just like, why does that happen? They don't really, you know, they're just getting their heads around. Why would that happen? Why would somebody have a really negative feeling towards somebody because they come from a different cultural background or ethnic background? But obviously, they'll go through a period, I'm sure, where they'll be surrounded by friends that have very different views. And so it's how do you then stand up, become an advocate and call people out if they're making racist comments? Mm, absolutely. You mentioned LinkedIn. And I'm interested, how would you practically reach out to people on LinkedIn? So do you add a message to connection requests? How many people do you need to reach out to so that one person gets back to you? What's your sense there? Yeah, so I, I did lots of searching around diversity and inclusion and the diversity, equity and inclusion and just wanted to see initially who's posting and who's commenting. And straight away, I know I'm hopefully those that are posting and commenting in a positive light, obviously, and that's still the case very much on LinkedIn. But yeah, and then to try and make those connections. And that might be with DNI consultants, that might be with professionals in the workplace, their individuals at organizations. And you start to build that connection or those connections with like-minded people. And I think that's really important. And the way I would do that is anyone that's active on LinkedIn is generally going to be open to a connection request. I would always try and reach out with a message too, where possible unless I've got lots of people in common, and then I'm more likely just to send a connection request, if I'm being brutally honest. I will always accept a connection request if it looks like a genuine profile. And I'll do a bit of digging in the background to see if that is a real person. But if it is, then absolutely, I'm going to connect with that individual. 
And, you know, nine times out of 10 as well, I don't do it all the time, but I think a good practice is to say, thanks for reaching out. I've accepted your connection requests. I'd like to make that more personal. You know, if you're happy to jump on a quick call or Zoom, let me know if you'd like to do that. Because taking it beyond LinkedIn and making it personal, I think is going to be beneficial for both of those people. Now, some people just want to sell you stuff. I might be guilty. I might be one of those. You know, when I'm reaching out to people, I might think I'm going to sell you stuff. We're definitely not selling our diverse talent networks. I think it's an education for people. If they want to do it, they can do it. If they don't, that organization is not in the right place at that moment in time. But yeah, so I think there is a reluctance then for people to engage in a conversation because they're like, well, I'll just send you a marketing message when I'm ready. But then for others, you know, particularly when I was a recruiter, if they were candidates, and even now, if there are people that might want to be mentoring or to understand more about diverse talent networks, I think they will connect. Some people don't because they just won't have the time, but I never take it personally. If someone doesn't want to have that conversation, I think, well, they're just probably incredibly busy. They've got a lot going on in their life. Absolutely. I think it's quite interesting that what you did is you went to LinkedIn a very clear purpose. So you wanted to understand more about diversity and then you created connections with people who are already active. And I think if someone is listening to this and doesn't know where to start, I would really recommend that they think about what is the purpose of their networking. And it could be just to understand different industries. So you might want to understand how the green sector works and therefore you're, mm. you're just going to look at who posts on sustainability and then say, I would love to learn more about it da, 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 and connect around that. Yeah, that's how I would approach it if I was doing something completely new. It has to be strategic. You have to think, okay, what do I want to get from my network? So if that's to make it more diverse, then you are immediately just looking at people that are coming from different backgrounds to your own. And that might just be perhaps you're a university graduate, you know, you're 15 years into your career and you're thinking, actually, I don't know anyone who's just gone straight into the workplace. I don't know any school leaders. I don't know anybody with a disability. Just whatever that difference is, it's going to benefit you to get a different perspective and maybe connect with some of those individuals. Now, you can combine that if you're looking for a new job or if you're looking for a new client, you can combine that strategy and say, if I'm looking for my next client, maybe I want that client to come from a more diverse background. Maybe I'll be interested to see how that conversation goes and bring somebody, you know, again, different perspective and background into my client group and client portfolio. So there's lots of different ways, but you must be strategic. You must have some aim and then work off the back of that. Otherwise, you're going to find it different. And you can do keyword searching in LinkedIn. So whether that's on posts, comments, activities, you can bring up those keywords, you can search, and then you can look at the people that are active. And that's the most important thing. It's people that are active. And, and just have a think about, are they likely to be running their own account? So again, there's a lot of CEOs of big organizations that are probably not running their own accounts. So, yeah, so again, it's a PA can, messaging. Mm. Yeah, or they've outsourced it to you know a third-party company. You will tell very quickly but just by reading some of the comments and the posts, some are very corporate, um, others are just a bit more personable. But you could probably work that out yourself. I'm not, I'm not sure there's any huge tips. But yeah, once you know that it's a personal account, it's definitely worth connecting with. Yeah, absolutely. I think one practical tip that I would say here, because there will obviously be lots of parents listening who might be looking for a mentor on LinkedIn, you'd be very surprised how people are willing to help. So I think just asking them for a one-off mentoring conversation, you'll find so many people who are interested in in doing that and who really want to give back and who are in senior roles. And that's actually how we headhunt 
our senior leader mentors on LinkedIn as well. And yeah. to an extent, you can do that yourself. Obviously, with Leaders Plus, we then interview the mentors. We make sure that they have the right mindset and so on. But you can take something from any conversations and people really love to help and give advice, in my experience. So I think that's one thing I would try. And then also, you can consider being part of physical group. So I guess the Leaders Plus Fellowship came to mind here because obviously I run <laughs> the Leaders Plus Fellowship. You know, there's an existing group that brings people together from all different sectors, different backgrounds, but there are other groups or programs where you can do that. I think the important thing is to check whether it's one that isn't just from your industry or isn't just with might middle class people, nothing against us, but mm. we're missing yeah. something if, yeah. if we don't have to. And obviously, I guess one of the reasons that's actually, we have these hardship fund places with the fellowship. One of the reasons for doing that, it's, it's not entirely selfless because we know people who maybe have been victim of maternity discrimination or maybe work for organizations that are so tiny that they wouldn't be able to fund you on the fellowship program. It really brings so much to the community to bring those people with those diverse perspectives in. So yeah, yeah anyways, but what I'm saying is, so try cold approaches, but also try to join some sort of a active group, I would say. Are you part of any groups or any structured things or have you been as, at some point of your... I have been in the past, yeah, and I've, I think I'm probably in the wrong groups because I haven't necessarily got as much out of those. I have the individuals that I've networked with and connected with. And I said the other thing I've done is I've culled my network over time because you look through it and you think, well, who am I speaking to? Who have I had a conversation with, a proper conversation with? So, you know, there is a bit of cleansing of the network as well, because otherwise it can just get out of control. And it's not really a network, is it? It's like a collection of connections. But the groups are a good idea. There are better groups now, I think, than there ever were, particularly when they're managed well. Like the Leaders Plus, I'm sure that's managed incredibly well. And you're keeping the content relevant to those group members. And I think that's really important to search those groups, particularly, let's say, looking for mentoring, maybe looking for next opportunities, maybe looking for support because you're a working parent that's getting back into the workplace. I think that's really important to do that. It's a great point. Mm. So I guess I'm just interested a bit more in your story and why you set up Diverse Talent Networks together with your co-founder. Was it just that you always, well, you already said you weren't initially good at networking, but that you, you know, you're now an expert and you want to help others? Or why did you set it up in the first place? Okay, for me... I was just growing incredibly frustrated with the lack of action when it comes to improving diversity. And I think the same for Dan. You know, Dan Whitehead worked at big companies like BlackRock, City, QB Insurance more recently. So he's seen it from inside the corporates. I've seen it from as a third party. When I ran a previous business, we supported the diversity project for the investment association, so the investment association diversity project. And you know, what you found is it's the same people that are turning up to these events. It's the same people that are trying to make a difference. But then there's a lot of other people just providing lip service and not taking meaningful action. And Dan came up with a great stat. He said, look, through his experience of working in-house, 35% of hires in medium and large-sized organizations are made via direct referrals. But the problem is that most of those networks are lacking diversity. And so we all know that hiring is about relationships and hiring people you can trust, that you know that you're going to deliver. And they're coming from your network more often than not. And that's been going on for decades. And if you're not meeting that diverse talent, you know, you're not going to hire that diverse talent because by the time you come to having a vacancy, it's fine having a longer list of candidates or a short list of candidates that are more diverse, but you don't know that talent well enough. So you're still reluctant to pull the trigger and make that hire because you think, actually, I need to default to the person I trust. Maybe I've worked with them before. 
went to university with them. I know they're a good person. I know they're not going to let me down. And that's the mindset of a hiring executive and a business leader because they're under a lot of pressure and also under time constraints. So a lot of hiring takes place under duress. And Dan and I know that. We're like, well, you only fix that problem by taking a more strategic approach. Meet the diverse talent ahead of me to hire. Get to know them. Get to understand their stories, their backgrounds, their transferable skills. Include them in the conversations they've been excluded with for many years. And so I think that is a, such a powerful service to provide that we've just like we've got to do this. And to be honest, Verena, I was very close to not having wanting to do anything with diversity ever again because there's a lot of corporates that I'd spoken to, a lot of organisations I'd spoken to, where they just defer to the fact they're looking at lots of initiatives and we're doing you know lots of training and there's a lot of book reading going on, a lot of film watching. That's fantastic, right? Or they're throwing a lot of the early careers programs. Well, how long is that going to take before you start getting more diverse senior leaders into your business? And if you don't have those role models at the senior level, then those early career you know, people that you're onboarding, whether that's a graduate level or first, second jobbers, they're not going to stick around. Can't be what you can't see. And that's a phrase, that's not my phrase, it's out there and, and everyone, a lot of people are using it, but you've got to have those role models and you've got to address the more senior experienced end of your business and organization. And so for me, it's a no-brainer to do it. So I'm really passionate about this. Yes, it's a commercial enterprise, but fundamentally it's putting, you know, Dan and I have the skill sets to help people build their networks. We have the skill sets to identify the diverse talent community and connect the two. And also, we just felt there needed to be an initiative where business leaders are held accountable. They pay for it, okay? They have to meet the individuals that we bring into their network. So we curate that based on their criteria, and we get them to meet more diverse talent. And that, if you're investing time to meet somebody, that has a huge impact. So the sort of PR value for organizations alone is, you know, it's worth its weight in gold, right? You're investing your time, and everyone loves that. And then that has a knock-on effect because graduates may be looking at organizations go, okay, well, this organization signed up to diverse talent networks. They're taking it seriously. They want to network. They want to take the time to get to know people who come from different backgrounds. Mm. That's the reason. For me, it was glaringly obvious. And I think for Dan, it was too. We've got the skill sets. I touched on it earlier. I, came, I was a working class child growing up. I grew up in a high rise in Kilburn Square. Seven of us in a two-bedroom flat. We moved to a working class. We got moved by the council to a house because there were too many of us for the flat. And we were fortunate to be rehoused. And I know what it's like to grow up with some, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm very privileged, but with, you know, facing some challenges in life. And then I saw when I was at university applying for internships and in my first jobs, I just didn't get a look in. Whereas some of my friends who had parents that worked in professional services, <laughs> they could call in favours. They would get the internships, they'd get the experience on their CV, and they'd have another advantage of experiencing it to a lesser degree than most people, right? But I've seen what it's like to have some headwinds against you when you're trying to make your way in the world. So yeah, we're just trying to say it's time for action, not words. Yeah, I love that. And I love the fact that you are asking people to commit time rather than just money um, into something like that. And it's really important that you mentioned class as well, which is, it's not part of the fashionable buzzword at the moment. But it's such a huge issue and there's a real level of disadvantage around the class, like we talked about in the last podcast. So with that, there's so much more that I can talk to you about, but I think we're coming to the end of it now. So if someone is listening to this and is convinced and says, well, actually, I would like to take two or three steps this week practically to 
create more diversity in my network? What do you think they should be doing? I think immediately you want to reach out to some people that you just don't know, that you think actually have, have an interesting background. Either to you, you know, if you're male, you can perhaps reach out to some women and connect with them, whether they're in the same industry or not. You can reach out to some groups on LinkedIn. You know, maybe you reach out to some of the ethnic minority groups and see if you can support people who are trying to find their way in the world. You can reach out and look at perhaps just giving something back in your local community to broaden that network. And you know, I think most people living in and around London can do that quite easily if you get into some of those inner city schools. You know, they're always looking for some form of support. And there's some great programs out there and great social enterprises, which you can look up, which, again, if someone wanted to message me directly, there's a couple I can put them in touch with, for sure. Is there one that is on but your mind? That, Sorry to interrupt, but for example, I can think of speakers for schools. What else would you Yeah, well, I like the Access Project. So that's all about helping those kids at schools, inner city schools that have lots of ability, could go to the university, could do incredibly well, but just need a bit of support in how to study. So a bit of tutoring, a bit of guidance, particularly in the STEM subjects. So the Access Project, TAP, I think that's a great initiative. We're looking at a couple actually now you know, that we will support as well. So maybe if people come back to me, we'd have made a decision and I'll be able to give a couple more organisations that they can reach out to. I mean, we're all about, you know, I think as we grow our business, we're tackling the experience or senior end of the market, but actually, you know, then we can probably give back to those kids that are starting life with a disadvantage and some of those other diverse groups that are struggling for support or need more support. So I think that's important. Great. Sorry to distract you there from your top three tips for diversity. That's all right. So we've got one really practical. Mm -hmm. Reach out to people that are very different to you, coming from different backgrounds. I think you should probably look at your own profile because I think you can capture more of that diverse talent community and, and connect with some people by just being a little bit more open in your own LinkedIn profile. So in your about section, you've got up to 2,600 characters, I think it is, to just give not just an account of what you do for a living, but also you as a person. And maybe the, you know highlight the types of people you'd like to connect with. Because then anyone reading your profile can look at you and think, this person's open to connecting with people like me, or they're open to mentoring, or they're open to sharing industry knowledge, whatever that may be. So I think that's really important. Use your own profile to then make yourself more approachable. I think that's key. And number three, I think, I just think it's probably being a little bit more active. You know, even if you're just giving 15 minutes a day to look at some of the people that are perhaps either in the industry or supporting a cause that you want to support yourself and just start getting into their comments and just start sharing your knowledge with your opinions and your views, because that itself will then lead to some natural connections where people like your comments, right? They like what you're posting. So comments and posting, I think you know, people just don't do enough of that still on LinkedIn. So the more you can do that, and it doesn't have to be anything groundbreaking. It can just be sharing a bit of information that you've seen, an article or a post that you think is going to help others. And you can distribute that. It could be just some statistics. It could be some hope. You know, If it's something that people will find useful, again, that will bring more connections, and different types of connections into your own network. Great. Fantastic. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed having you on the podcast again. And where can people go to find out more about you and Diverse Talent Networks? Yeah, so the website is diversetalentnetworks.com. Definitely feel free to connect with me, reach out to me directly, message me. So you can find me under Lee Higgins. So linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Higgins Lee, H-I-G-G-I-N-S-L-E. They can 
support diverse talent networks, they can follow the company page, which is just getting up and running. So that's diverse talent networks on LinkedIn, and they'll find us there. And then we're getting an Instagram account going because I think we're going to be more active there. Because again, when we we're actually going to take this across industry, and we're speaking to some media companies now, we're speaking to some tech firms. So I think we're going to take this outside of financial services because of the traction we're already starting to get. So again, they can find us on Instagram, Diverse Talent Networks. Great. Thank you very much, Lee. Lovely to talk to you again. Likewise, Verena. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure and really good to connect again. Thank you so much for listening today. I am delighted that you've stayed with us until the end of the episode and I hope you got as much practical input as I did from Lee Higgins. I personally think he's such an interesting thought leader. If it has been helpful to you in any way, then please help us reach more people who could benefit from this content by sharing it with three people in your network. (laughs) So I guess sometimes actually networking is about adding benefit to others. So now having listened to this, if you just send a message saying, oh, by the way, I saw this and I thought you might really enjoy it, you'll find that, well, it's an act of networking for you, but it would really help me because I put so much blood and sweat, not necessarily tears uh, most of the time, (laughs) I put so much into these podcasts and I really want to reach more people with them. And likewise, if you want to be part of a like-minded community of people who are very diverse, but who all are super passionate about pursuing ambitious careers and think it should be possible to be with your children, enjoy your children, see your children grow up, be present, but also you shouldn't have to then forego the chance of being a director or a CEO. If you want to be part of that community, then you should definitely consider applying for the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme, which is a nine-month programme where you get access to a senior leader mentor, you get peer coaching and access to the latest research about how to progress your career. And most importantly, time to think, which I know is sometimes in short supply when you are a working parent. The applications are closed, but if you go to leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship, you can register your interest there. And we do have a couple of places for those in financially challenged circumstances. But just to keep in mind, next year we will only have one program. So if you want to join, then it will be that one starting in early 2022. Until next time, have a wonderful week.